Thank you. We worshipers are headed out the door. Now it's time to find that Bible. You know it's around there somewhere. Friends, I'll give you a head start. We're going to be in the book of Acts today. But before we do, let's recall why we're doing this. We are going through a series entitled Your Mission. It's not their mission, it's your mission, my friends. It's my mission, it's our mission. Okay, and the mission of Family Bible Church, how many of you know the mission by heart? I mean, you can just whip it off. There we go. I knew you would know it. All right, I love that enthusiasm. If you are struggling with this mission, you just, you know some of the words and, you know, you kind of bumble along. I want to give you a little tip here, okay? One of the ways that you can understand this is simply looking at the life and ministry of Christ, okay? You remember, he became involved with people, okay? Gathered to himself, 12 disciples. And what did he do with them? You know, he, he went through all this ministry, traveling, all this teaching, so that they would know him personally. I mean, they, they, they knew something about him, but they needed to know more about him. So he became involved with these people so they would know him personally and ultimately learn to follow him completely, to learn to really trust him, kind of walking on the water sort of stuff, you know? I mean, really be able to step out and trust him regardless of the circumstances. And having known him personally and following him completely, he did all this so that ultimately they would make him known broadly. And that, my friends, that last statement, make him known broadly. And by the way, all of this ought to be mimicked in our life in some way, ought to be expressed when you came to faith in Christ. Perhaps that came with a voracious appetite for learning more. Do you remember those days where you just couldn't get enough, you know, and you'd travel an hour and a half to go listen to some guy preach because you just couldn't get enough? Or was that just me? My friends, you remember those days and you wanted to know more about this Jesus and more. Remember the days you used to take notes and stuff, you know, because you were excited about this voracious appetite to learn more about Christ, knowing him personally, learning to follow him through various circumstances, different obstacles that you would face. And then maybe it just kind of died there. And you forgot that perhaps the fruit of it all was to make him known broadly. That's the goal here, my friends. You know him, now it's time to share him. That is our mission, to get to know him personally, learning to follow him completely and ultimately to make him known broadly. So what we're going to talk about here today, but before we dive in, let's pray together. God, bless this time. God, use the time that we are giving to you here. God, help us to be fully attentive to your word here today, to hear it as it is the word of God presented to us here today. God, help us to respond to it as we ought in full obedience to you, out of love for you, in an attempt to honor you in our lives. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Friends, you've heard of the golden rule, haven't you? Not the one, not the, 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 the one who has the gold rules. It's not that one. 
You know, it's the do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You've heard that, right? I mean, I hopefully the, that Jesus taught that. And, uh, and it's an important one. It really is another way to say love the people around you. Well, how do I love them? How about this? Do the things to them that you would want them to do to you. You want people to be kind to you? How about this? Be kind to them. Don't be kind to them so they're kind to you. That misses the point altogether. Friends, that's manipulation. All right, we're talking about doing for others as you would have them do to yourself. That's a good measuring mark, you know. But did you know that there's such thing as a silver rule? This is the guy that came in second place. You know, and this one, uh, <laughs> this one sounds a, a little different. It, it's the opposite almost, but it comes out square. It's the, this is the silver rule. The silver rule is this. And somebody made this up online somewhere. I don't know what it is, but it sounds good. And that is, don't do something to somebody that you wouldn't want them doing to you. That makes good sense, doesn't it? Well, my friends, whatever rule you decide to follow, and I hope it's the first one, the one to love, one of the things that can be sure is this, is if we're going to be people who love, we have to be people who share the gospel. Because honestly, can you really say that you love your neighbors if you don't tell them about Jesus? I mean, this, is this not the greatest thing that's ever happened to you in your life? Is you came into a relationship with Christ and your eternity, you have no fear of judgment whatsoever. I mean, it's locked in, baby. You follow him, you live for him, you find joy in him, and ultimately you spend eternity with him. And what kind of monsters would we be if we kept that to ourselves? That's not love. That is not love. My friends, this morning we're going to explore what the statement to make him known broadly really looks like. And to do so, we're going to take a short journey through the book of Acts. The book of Acts is such a wonderful book. I'll tell you, we would be in trouble if we didn't have the book of Acts. Can you imagine going from John to Romans, you know? <laughs> what is Paul talking about? And who are these Romans and what happened to them? How about those Corinthians, for heaven's sakes, you know? We need some transition. Where do these churches come from? And that, my friends, is the book of Acts. So we're going to take a, a quick journey. So turn with me in your copy of the scriptures and uh, we will witness, <laughs> play on words there, the call of Jesus to his disciples to make him known broadly and what their response was. And perhaps, my friends, in looking at their response, you and I can be inspired. So take a look with me in Acts chapter 1. In verse 1, we find the introduction to the book as we would expect. The letters written back in the day always started by telling you who was written, kind of like a phone call. Hello, hello. Well, this is Dave, okay? And that's where it starts here. Now, I want you to notice this one's a little different. Here in the first book, whoa, what are we talking about the first book? Well, let me tell you, the author to the book of Acts is the author to the book of Luke, okay? So the book of Acts is like Luke volume 2, in uh, the Gospel of Luke, we see the life, the ministry, the death, and resurrection of Christ. In the book of Acts, we find out what happens next. 
all right? And so the book, uh, the first book, O Theophilus, and this is an interesting name or a, perhaps a title, and perhaps, uh, as some have suggested, a code word. <laughs> the, the word Theophilus means a friend of God. Theos uh, is God, and philo, philia would be a friend or a loving kind of love uh, to a friend. And uh, perhaps it's addressed to some Roman official, or perhaps it's addressed to people like you and I who love God and want to know more. Well, notice that uh, Luke says here, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. And so we have this intro here. But when we come to verse 3, we begin to notice there is a, a summary of some of the beliefs of the disciples of that day. Some of the beliefs of a true disciple. And it starts here in verse 3 with the resurrection of Christ, Jesus' resurrection. And you will notice that Luke says, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering. It's an interesting summary of a crucifixion, my friends. But that's what he is certainly referencing. He presented himself alive after they persecuted him, after they crucified him. And how did he do it? By many proofs. How? Appearing to them for 40 days. How do we know that Jesus rose from the dead? Because he appeared over 40 days to numerous people, even 500 people at once at one time. If you look at 1 Corinthians 15, references that. And so we learn about Jesus' resurrection and the beliefs of a true disciple certainly believe in the resurrection of Christ. But it isn't just limited to that, my friends. It also includes the coming of his kingdom. Because not only did it appear to them during 40 days, he was speaking about the kingdom of God, which is the reign of God. Perhaps uh, the topic here is about the millennial reign of Christ when Jesus will sit on the throne of his father David. He is a descendant of David, which is what gives him the right to rule based on Scripture. So, so talking to them about the things that are to come. But friends, he also talked about the power of the Holy Spirit. And I wonder if we would take an informal poll, and I'm not talking about the yes or no vote. Do you believe in the power of the Spirit of God? I mean, the moment you come to faith in Christ, you are indwelt with a Spirit of God who seals you, marks you, as, as a possession of God, but also empowers you to do the ministry of God. Now, what turned these cowards, these disciples, who at the crucifixion of Christ all ran away and hid themselves and locked themselves in a room into these fierce disciples who stood against the authorities and say, whatever you say matters not. What God says is what matters in our life. You know, well, it was two things, my friend. A, they had seen the risen Christ, and B, they were operating in the power of the Spirit of God. And notice, and while they were staying with him, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. This was a unique event at a unique time here, my friends, that is not normative. When you put your faith in Christ today, 
you immediately receive the indwelling of the Spirit of God and the mark of the, the sealing of the Spirit of God. But you will find in the book of Acts in this time of transition, there is a very obvious time and when groups of people receive the Spirit of God. Notice here in verse 6, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. It's not about time to try and guess when it all might come down, my friends. In other words, if we're going to spend our time doing anything, that's not what we ought to be investing time in, in charts and dates and stars. But, contrast word here in verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And notice here, when the Spirit of God comes, he comes with a very specific purpose. And that is the responsibility to evangelize the world. And here it is. These are the words of Christ to his disciples. And you will be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem, right where you are. Judea, Samaria, and ultimately to the ends of the earth. And this is the mission. It is not unlike what we read in Matthew chapter 28, uh, 19 and 20. You know, go unto all the world and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to obey all things which I have commanded. And lo, I am with you always. You know, we have this great commission. This message of who Christ is and what he has done is a message. You know what you do with a message? You share it. It's not a statue and it's not a plaque to be posted somewhere, my friends. It is a message that is to be told. And by the way, the interesting word here, witnesses in verse 8, in uh, verse 1 or chapter 1, verse 8, the word witnesses is, is martyreo. It is the root of the word martyr. It is interesting that as we look at church history, how closely related witnessing for Christ also ended in being a martyr for Christ, one who suffers for him. And so there it is, the responsibility to evangelize. If you are a disciple of Christ, my friends, surely you know that God has commissioned us to go and share the gospel with the people that he places in our life. Our family members, our friends, our neighbors, the people in the drive through at Burger King. I mean, that was the last time I shared the gospel. When God opens the door, you walk through it, my friends. That's what a door is for, you know. You know, God close it, open it up. That's what doors do, you know. You just keep plowing and pursuing, okay? No, I'm not saying if God closes doors to keep banging on it, okay? I'm just saying, my friends, that look for the opportunities. They're there. They're absolutely there. I don't share the gospel every time I go through the drive-through. I, I share the gospel every time God opens a door for it. And I hope that's the practice in your life as well. You say, what does that look like? Well, you want to know a little more? Come and talk to me after the service. I'll tell you about the experience and why I believed God opened the door for me. And it wasn't that little glass sliding thing either, okay? All right, so we have this responsibility to evangelize the world. And then, 
This last section here tells us what else the disciples believed, and that is that Jesus is coming again. Notice verse 9. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. We're talking about Jesus. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, friends, these are angels, okay, and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. That day is yet a future date set. We don't know when it is. There's no point in guessing, my friends. The point is that we ought to be evangelizing, loving and serving until he comes. Now, The question is, we know what they were supposed to do, and we know what we're supposed to do. The question is, what did they do about it? And is their response any different than yours? Well, my friends, I would have you to know that they preached Christ in Jerusalem. In Acts 1.8, we will discover, becomes a whole outline of the book of Acts. They were to preach the gospel where? Jerusalem, right where they were. In other words, before they decide to go on a mission trip, maybe they ought to do some evangelism around home. And that's exactly what they did. And we'll see that in chapters 1 to 7. You know, they preach Christ in Jerusalem. And you know what? We find this happening in chapter 2 and verse 40. And remember, this is a survey. We're not looking at every verse in the book or we're going to be here for a while. And we might be here for a while anyway, but, uh, but friends, we'll try and get you home for lunch, okay? All right, so here we are in uh, Acts chapter 2 and verse 40. And what we find is Peter has preached the gospel on the day of Pentecost. The Spirit, the 120 people in a room, and the Spirit of God descends upon them in the manner of that a dove would come down. It didn't say as a dove or is a dove. It just came down like a dove. And they're empowered by the Spirit of God. And what are they supposed to do? They're supposed to share the gospel. So Peter, he's preaching his guts out. When he saw these, and after he had said these things, you know, and many other words he bore in verse 40, I want you to notice the impact of his preaching. You know, many words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. And notice this, verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about three or four kids in the back. 3,000 souls, 3,000 people came to faith in Christ that day. And why? Because Peter's such a great preacher? No, because the Spirit of God is the one that opens people's eyes and gives them faith to believe and draws them to Christ. It is the work of the Spirit of God using the Word of God to bring people to Christ. And so Peter preaching the gospel, and you know what happens? People come to faith in Christ. But I want you to notice that it didn't stop there. In chapter 3 and verse 11... Peter preached the gospel in Solomon's portico. And this is a colonnade, a series of columns around where the palace would have been. And and there he is preaching. And they had just healed a, a lame beggar. You know, this guy couldn't walk, and he's begging and pleading. And, and I suggest you go back and read some of the details of this. It's powerful stuff, you know. And so people see this, and they wonder what's going on. And you know what it did? It caused the crowd And you know what they did with the crowd? They said, here comes the big door swinging open. 
And Peter started preaching. And notice here in verse 11, while he clung to Peter and John and all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. He did. He preached to God. The door swung open and he started talking. And you know what he talked about, my friends, is he didn't talk about his new business startup that he had going on. He talked about Jesus. You know, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this or why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety we have made him walk. Peter said, it ain't me, it's Jesus. It's the spirit of God working through us, the spirit that the father promised. And the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac, verse 13, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. There it is. His crucifixion and his resurrection were the center of Peter's message here. He died for our sin, he rose from the dead. And to this we are witnesses. That's a key word there. They were supposed to be witnesses and they were witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see. And there's a result, a response to the gospel, which is faith. It was the response of faith that made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers... I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he has fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, and that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus whom heaven must receive until the time of the restoring of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets long ago. And he is preaching and he is preaching and we come to chapter 4 and verse 1 and what is the response? And as they were speaking to the people, verse 1, chapter 4, the priests and the captain of the temple and those Sadducees came upon them and they were greatly annoyed. I mean, they were big time put out here about this. And why was it? Because they were teaching people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. You know, and there's a a great old joke about the Sadducees. And and raise your hand if you haven't heard it, you know. You know why they're Sadducees? It's because they don't believe in the resurrection. That's why they're sad, you see, okay? Now you know. It's just a good memory device, right? All right. And so they, they, they decide that they're going to stop these guys from preaching the gospel. But my friends, they have a boldness that they never had before. And they have the power of the Spirit of God, you know? And then and, and notice the response. In, in verse 3, they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day. For it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed. And the number of men, just the men alone, came to 5,000. People are hearing the gospel. They are responding in faith, and they are being saved. My friends, God is saving souls. And how does he do it? 
Because they decided to put up a really big billboard somewhere? No, because he empowered his disciples with the Spirit of God to go preach the word, the truth, the gospel. And they came to faith. Well, my friends, they not only preached on the day of Pentecost, they not only at Solomon's portico, they preached the gospel in Judea and Samaria. Wait a minute. That's exactly what God told them to do. Start in Jerusalem. That's exactly what they did. But the gospel couldn't just stay there. Notice here in chapter 7. I'm going to move a couple of pages here. Chapter 7. You're going to have to turn a little faster. In chapter 7, that tells us how they transitioned from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria. How did it happen, my friends? Well, remember that word witness, meaning martyr? I want to introduce you to a guy named Stephen. Stephen, here in chapter 7, we find that Stephen had preached through a survey of the Old Testament. And I strongly recommend that sometime today you go through and read that. It's a wonderful survey of the Old Testament. But unfortunately, the theme seems to be how Israel continues to ignore God. You know, and my friends, if you're an Israelite of the day and you're hearing this, you want to shut that guy up, which, by the way, is exactly what they did. Look at verse 54. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged. Well, that's the second person that had the response that they were not hoping for. They were enraged and they ground their teeth. Go ahead and think about that. Just, just tighten their jaw and grind in their teeth. They are angry people. But... Verse 55, Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit, and he gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God, and he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God, but they cried out with a loud voice, and they stopped their ears, and they rushed together, and they cast him out of the city, and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young guy named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. You know what he didn't say? Did you notice he didn't say, you know, I really ought to kept that message to myself. You know, if I would have just stayed out of all of this, none of this trouble would have happened. My friends... It is the power of the Spirit of God working through the man and women of God that creates great things and changing people's lives. I mean, there's a guy who's just, you know what his job is? I'm going to watch your coat so nobody runs off with him while you're killing that dude. And that guy stood there approving. Do it harder. Come on a little faster. In most of the New Testament, God is going to use this guy to write it. Preach the gospel. Communicate the gospel. It is the gospel that has changed your life. It is the gospel that will change their lives. Preach the gospel, my friends. No, I didn't say give a sermon on it. You know, what I'm saying is make it known. The word preach means to proclaim, to make something known. And you will notice as a response to this in verse 8. I'm sorry, chapter 8. <laughs> A great persecution arose, and Saul approved of his execution, and there arose that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Wait, 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 wait a minute. Let's read that again. So Stephen preaches the gospel. People are so enraged that they kill this guy, 
And they say, not just him, all of those people. And you know what happens? The gospel by the disciples, by those who have trusted Christ, now begin to be scattered. And where are they going? Judea and Samaria. There it is. Verse verse 1, the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And notice, devout men buried Stephen, made a great lamentation over him, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering the house after house, and he dragged off men and committed them to prison. Remember that word witness and martyr? My friends, it will cost you something, but by far you will gain more. You will gain a crown. You will stand before the Lord and he will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Well done. Doing exactly what he has called you to do, my friends. Is that not what you long to do? And here in chapter 8, we find that Philip is preaching the gospel in Samaria. Now, those who were scattered went about preaching the word, which is exactly what those who follow Christ do. They make the gospel known. It's normative, my friends. It's not the exception. It's the rule. People who follow Christ do what Christ has called them to do. And so they were scattered about. They went about preaching the word. And Philip went down to the city of Samaria, and he proclaimed to them Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. And when they heard him and saw the signs that he did for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. And I want you to notice verse 8. So there was much joy in that city. And that means that people were trusting in Christ all over the place. They were being freed from the bondage of darkness and sin. And here in Verse 14, the Samaritans received the Spirit of God. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So they put their faith in Christ. They were baptized in the name of Christ. And now in the same way that the Spirit of God came on these Jewish believers, so also we have this Pentecost experience for the Gentile, the Samaritans. And when the and he who came down prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen, but they had only been baptized in the name of Jesus. And so the Spirit of God has now come. And here we are in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And that's already been a lot of work. So what's the point, you know? I mean, all those other people, those are bad people. They're Gentiles. They're people like you. I mean, what's the point of the gospel going to people like you? Well, how does that feel? But I'll tell you, my friends, for thousands of years, that's the way it was for the Jew. You know, Peter, James, John, Philip, Stephen, all of these people were Jews. They knew what the Old Testament said, to separate yourself from these people. To have fellowship with these people was sin. You know, people like you and me. And then we come to chapter 10. Chapter 10. Notice in chapter 10... In verse 10, 
where we find Cornelius and a divine messenger. And here we find they're preaching the gospel to the world. Let's start in verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius. He was a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. And he was a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continuously to God. So we have this, this very good man. This man is not a believer. He's not a Christian. All right, we have this guy who, who accepts these true things as true and tries to be a good person. And God begins to use this. And notice in verse 3, in about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. Or maybe he said it in a higher tone, I don't know. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended. As a memorial before God. And now, send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. And that's where we find Peter in the unusual nap. Okay, it's a little summary of this account here in verse 9. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry. It happens, you know, even to guys like Peter. And he wanted something to eat, which is the logical conclusion to the hunger. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. This is an unusual word. It is uh, ecstasis. It is where we get our word ecstasy. We find that this is an unusual uh, event that uh, um, actually it's not that unusual. It is the same word that the Septuagint uses to describe when God put Adam into this deep sleep to take out his rib and make a woman. It is a, a word that is used oftentimes for this deep sleep in which God is about to work. And that's exactly what happens here. So Peter, you know, he's up on the housetop, he's hungry, falls to sleep, and saw the heavens open in something like a great sheet. You know, I dream weird things, but this is a weird one, my friends. And this is a dream that God has given him, and it has a very clear message. So this great sheet is descending and being let down by its four corners upon the earth, all of them significant. And if it, in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, uh, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. The Old Testament law made clear some very clear, you know, you can eat this, you can't eat that. Guess what was in the, the big sheet? The stuff you can eat and the stuff you can't eat. And the voice came to him a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. And this happened three times because Peter was a little slow. Okay, it doesn't say that. And the thing was taken up at once to heaven. And what do we have? We have what we call a perplexed Peter. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, Behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, 
Three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And here we have this divinely set appointment. In verse 21, Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you were looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them to be his guest. And the next day, He rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers of Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. Let's just take a pause there for that statement. Do you know what Cornelius is waiting for? A word from God. God has this messenger coming all this way to communicate something. So you know what Cornelius says? i got to get all my friends and family in on this. I I want to make sure that they too hear this message that can change their eternities. And so here he is gathering all his family and his friends together. And when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up, I too am a man. And as he walked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. Many persons gathered. Don't miss it, friends. Cornelius was about to hear the gospel, the truth that Christ died for their sin and rose from the dead. And if they put their trust in him, their sins are forgiven. Their eternities are set. They have new life and new hope in Jesus. And he wanted to make sure everyone he knew and cared about was there. Don't miss it, my friends. Underline it, circle it, make a note in the front of your cover, and then make another one in the note in the back. Write it on your hand. Go home and practice it, my friends. If you care about them, you must share Christ with them. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. He's saying to you're all a bunch of Gentiles. And for thousands of years, we've wanted nothing to do with you people. But, and there it is, and this is where everything changes. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for you, I came without objection after the first one. And I asked why you sent for me, and Cornelius said... And here we get to the purpose of the journey. The point of the dream itself has been made clear. Four days ago about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa. Ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come, as if you could keep Peter away. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. And Peter here preaches sermon to the Gentiles. It has gone from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria, 
And now it goes to the rest of the world, my friends. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is the Lord of all. And you yourselves know what happened through all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism of John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. It starts with a crucifixion, my friends. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. He died for our sin. He rose from the dead. Not to all people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us, don't miss this, friends. I've got it highlighted in my Bible. And he commanded us to preach the peop to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. And to him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin through his name. And there it is, my friends gospel. And you know what the response was? While Peter here, verse 44, was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter was amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even to the Gentiles of all people. Talking about me and you, my friends. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. The speaking in tongues, just like the Pentecost, means other known languages. It was clear in the book of Acts in chapter 2, and it's clear here in verse 10. For they were hearing them speaking tongues, extolling God. And Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have been received by the Holy Spirit? Don't miss it. Just as we have. The gospel is not just for Jerusalem. It is not just for Judea and Samaria. It is for all. And friends, if they're going to hear it, they're going to need to hear it from you. And now it's your turn, my friends. The gospel will never be spread if believers like you and I don't share it. If we don't tell others who will. If we don't tell our friends and family who will. The fact is, friends, that God has divinely put you in a place to share Christ with the people in your life. The ones you like, the ones you don't like. But remember, there's no partiality with God. God has placed people in your life that need to hear the gospel. Put yourself in their shoes, my friends, because you once were. They did not know Christ they were lost and captive in their own sin and darkness, having no hope or God in this world. And someone shared Christ with you. Maybe they invited you to a church service or to listen to some guy on TV or listen to some cassette tape or maybe a videotape. Or maybe they said, 
they lied to you and said, hey, I'm practicing this thing. Will you listen to it? It was my first evangelism technique. I've changed since then. My friends, I, I just didn't know how, but I knew I needed to share the gospel with my friend. He had to have what I had. And the only way he would have it is if he knew Christ. Sermon in a sentence. Here it is. Boom. The gospel was meant to be shared, friends. It was meant to be shared. You know it, share it. You are an unusual class of people here. Not because of anything other than you know the gospel. You know the message that people need to hear in order to put their faith in Christ and have their sin forgiven and their eternities changed. The gospel was meant to be shared, my friends. So here's, here's some practice. You say, well, I don't know how I do that. How do you go about this? How do you start the conversation? How about we just do some practice? How about this? This week and this week alone, starting right now, you greet anyone that comes within five feet of you. Greet everyone that comes within five feet of you. Yeah, at the grocery store, hello. It's not that painful, my friends. You know, maybe they go like this to you. You know? Okay, you can survive that. Bring some Band-Aids with you, you know? <laughs> Learn to talk to people you don't know. Greet everyone that comes within five feet of you. Friends, that's not a biblical mandate. This is just a strategy to get to used to talking to people you don't know. Okay? Number two, explain the gospel to somebody this week. A lost person, great. You know, a friend who already knows the gospel, okay. But this week, explain it to somebody you know. Parents, bring your kids into the living room, go around the room. Everybody learns how to share Christ because everybody has someone in their life that needs to know Christ. Gather them around the living room. Hey, make it fun, make it boring, I don't know, but do it. Everybody learns to share Christ. And finally, ask God to help you see the opportunities to communicate Christ. Enter this into your prayer life. God, show me people that need to hear the gospel. Maybe add, God, put a burden on my heart to share Christ with the lost. Help me to see their situation as opposed to just thinking, well, I'm safe. Hmm. In West Africa, there, there is a vast stretch of savanna more than 4,000 miles wide, and it's just, just under the Sahara Desert. It is called the Sahel. And all the moisture comes in a four-month period. Four months and the rest of the year, no rain whatsoever. Four months, May, June, July, and August. After that, not a drop. Not a drop for eight months. And the ground cracks from the dryness, as well as your hands and your feet. And the winds of the Sahara pick up the dust and throw it a thousand feet into the air. And it comes slowly drifting across West Africa as a fine grit. And it gets in your mouth and it gets in your electronics and it stops. And the year's food, of course, must all be grown in four months. 
four months to grow everything you will eat for the next eight. It's a pretty harsh place, my friends. Now, in October and November, I mean, those are the beautiful months. The granaries, they are so full. But anybody knows anything about growing is you need some seeds come the day. So while you eat and your, your stomach is full and you sleep well at night, it's just a matter of time. And those days grow thin from three meals to two meals, then from two meals to one meal, and then trying to survive on one meal, half a meal a day. And your kids come up to you and say, Papa, I saw a bag. It has grain in it. Let's give it to Mama. She fixes food. We sleep tonight. No. You know we can't eat that because the rain isn't here yet. And there will be a day when the whole house is starving, trying to survive and work with less than a half a meal a day. And you walk into a field and begin to throw it all out into this field. And you know why you do it? Because you believe in the harvest. God has called us to sow seed. And if you believe that God is still saving souls today, You've got to give it away. Sow it in tears, though you must. My friends, share the gospel with the lost.